Let's prepare to hear God's word this morning by again going to him in prayer. Lord, we come to you again today as we have already this morning. And Lord, we ask now that you speak to us with clarity. Lord, we pray that you help me to speak, to read, to proclaim your word with clarity. And Lord, we ask that through the work of your spirit, you bring that word into all of our hearts. Take away whatever barriers or objections or difficulties or challenges we might raise to your word and truly speak into our hearts. Speak into our hearts so that we are unsettled, so that we are challenged, so that we hear you clearly. And speak into our hearts too so that we are comforted, so that we are brought closer to your life, so that we truly can can listen to and see Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. So this morning we are beginning, it's kind of a new and kind of an old sermon series. We worked through the first half of the Gospel of Mark last kind of late summer, early fall. And now as we look toward Easter, we're going to work through the second half of the Gospel of Mark. So we're, we're going to read selections. We're not going to read every verse, but we're going to read selections from each chapter week by week as we go all the way through to Easter and the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, we just finished an identity series that looked at, looked at the identity the Lord has given us as His people, and in a way, this is a continuation of that. The, the theme of this series is, who do you say I am? And that's a question Jesus asked His disciples, and that's really a question, if, if we're interested in following God, if we belong to Him, if we are people of Jesus, then the most important question for our identity is who Jesus is. And you know, even if you're here today, and and for whatever reason you aren't really interested in following Jesus, well, He is coming today to challenge you with the question, who do you, who do you say I am, and what does that mean for who you are? So these are some of the questions we're going to be wrestling with over the next few weeks that, that we only really find our identity when we understand the identity of Jesus. So this morning we're going to read from Mark chapter 9, we're going to read from verse 2 to 32, the words will be up on the screen, you're also invited to grab a Bible from the bench in front of you and and follow along throughout the sermon if you so desire. And for the sermon we're going to work through this text in terms of fear, unbelief, and fear, so be listening for some of those themes as we go through. Hear the word of the Lord. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. Then a cloud appeared and enveloped them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. They kept the matter to themselves, discussing what rising from the dead meant. And they asked him, Why do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? 
Jesus replied, To be sure, Elijah does come first and restores all things. Why then is it written that the Son of Man must suffer much and be rejected? But I tell you, Elijah has come, and they have done to him everything they wished, just as it is written about him. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about, he asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. O unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for him who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the evil spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, this kind can come out only by prayer. They left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. He said to them, The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days he will rise. But they did not understand what he meant and were afraid to ask him about it. This is the word of the Lord. So we're going to talk about fear this morning and then unbelief, and then we're going to circle back around to fear. We're going to start by talking about fear and the glory of Jesus. That's the first few verses that we read. And often... Often when we encounter something greater than us, something clearly bigger than us, we try to tame it. We try to, try to domesticate it. At the Brookfield Zoo, if you've ever been there, there's, there's this wooden cutout of a standing-up polar bear. And, and if you stand there and look at it, it looks about 20 feet tall. I think it's more like 10 or 12. But it's how big a polar bear looks standing up. And people walk up to it. You take pictures of your kids standing next to it, and you see how big you are compared to a polar bear. But there's also a window into the polar bear enclosure that's at a similar height, a bit taller, and often the polar bears are napping there. So you can walk up and you can see this huge pile of, of white fur. But I've been there a couple times when the polar bear is standing up next to that window. So you can be, oh, probably about a foot away from a polar bear standing full length. And if you've ever been there, if you've ever seen that polar bear or another one, they legitimately are huge animals. Their heads are about this big. And when they stand up, if you are standing there looking up at it, they look sky high. And then if, as I saw one time, there happened to be a number of people there trying to kind of tease the polar bear, and the polar bear jumps up and growls a bit and smacks the window, 
The polar bear looks like he's the center of the universe. And if you're me and my kids, you sort of start to edge away and make sure you keep those other people between you and the bear because that bear is big. And you got to figure that glass is old. And as glass gets old, it gets brittle. And who knows? Let's go look at the other bears, guys. But we, so often when we encounter hard or big things in life, we, we want to manage them. We want to control them. We want to make sure that the encounter goes our way. And here at the beginning of Mark chapter 9, Jesus brings Peter, James, and John up on the mountain, and they have this incredible encounter. And there's Moses and Elijah, two of the most significant features in, in Old Testament religion, and it's amazing to even see them. And, and then Jesus, his, his clothes turn white as snow, and, and we're used to white clothes, but this is in an age when it was a lot of work to make white clothes. And, and Jesus has these white clothes on, and he's shining, and it's, it's an experience like they have never had before in their lives, almost one they have never heard of before. And James and John are are hushed into silence. But Peter, good old Peter, who never is lacking for stupid things to say, he looks at this and he goes, whoa, Jesus, how about I make three tents? And you can have a tent, and, and Moses can have a tent, and Elijah can have a tent. And wouldn't that be wonderful? And we probably shouldn't be too hard on Peter because he is doing the best he can. There's, there's a Jewish religious festival called the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tents that's a highlight of their religious year. So, so maybe Peter is kind of trying to say, wow, this is great, we should keep celebrating. Or, or maybe there's some tabernacle, kind of Old Testament temple language. So, so maybe Peter is doing the best he can. But even though we shouldn't be too hard on Peter, we should recognize that Peter is, is, opening, his, is opening his mouth and he is just inserting his foot. Yes, there's this great encounter. Let's, let's manage it. Let's, let's keep it going. Let's, let's make sure that it fits in the categories that we have already. Let's, let's reduce this to something I can get my hands around Jesus. And one, one indication that that's how Peter is taking this is what he calls Jesus. He says, Rabbi, Rabbi, teacher. Peter reduces Jesus to the level of just another human being, and maybe the most incredible teacher ever, but you know, he's, he's just another guy. It's just another thing. And so often when we encounter the power of Jesus, that's what we do. If you read some of the older commentaries, maybe 100 years, maybe a little less than that, a lot of people were at a point, and this was a cultural thing as well as a religious thing, where, where they really didn't believe in the supernatural where they could not accept the possibility that, that even if they believed in God, that God would come into nature in some unexpected or unusual way. And so they came up with theories about what happened here in the transfiguration. And one theory was, well, well the disciples made it up because they wanted us to see Jesus as a great teacher. So, so they just made up this nice story where Jesus looks superhuman. And another probably more popular explanation was, you know, the disciples had a group hallucination. They were up there on the mountain, maybe they hadn't had enough to eat, or maybe they'd had some different things to eat, and, and they just sort of hallucinated this amazing thing. They went on a great trip, so to speak. And people seriously promoted this as if, as if this was an adequate reading of what the text wants to say. And I think culturally, religiously, we're, we're over some of that. We aren't so worried about things that we can't entirely explain. But I think what really scares us today I think what really scares us today is authority. 
I think what really frightens us in our culture, and probably what frightens a lot of us personally, is that there could be, there could be some power, some person that would dare to claim authority over us, that would dare to tell us to define who we are, that would dare to, to have a definitive view on how we should live. I think if, if there's one way that we are consistently domesticating the Lord these days, it's in saying that He doesn't have authority over us. That may be our great fear in this cultural moment, that the Lord might come and say, I, I am Lord, I am King, I make the rules, I define who you are. That, I think, is probably our great fear. And how do we get past that? And actually, before we ask how we get past that, we, we need to ask a different question. What type of relationship do you really want to have with God? Do you really want God to be God? Or do you want to be God? This is the classic temptation. That when we encounter the Lord, when we come to the Lord God who is bigger than we can ever comprehend, who is, who is sky high in His power and glory... Are we really interested in interacting with the Lord on those terms? Or do we want to get Him in a cage? Do we want to get Him walled up and under our control? How do we want to encounter the Lord? And you know, if we encounter the Lord as if we are God and He is not, then we aren't really encountering the Lord. That would be like if we had a relationship with somebody and we actually didn't want to hear anything from them or or have them have any say on the relationship. We just wanted to tell them what to do. And that is not the relationship the Lord offers us. The Lord offers us amazing grace, and, and He offers to bring us up into glory beyond what we can ever imagine. But, but the terms of the relationship are that God is God, and we are not. God is God, and we are not. And so he gets to tell us who he is. He gets to tell us how the things are. He gets to tell us who we are and how we ought to live. And let's, let's say we've made that, that big jump from, from wanting to be God to wanting to encounter the real Lord God. Then how do we do that? How do we do that? And in this text, God the Father speaks and he tells us how to encounter him. And what he says is this. Jesus, the one standing in front of Peter, James, and John, this is my beloved Son. Listen to Him. This is my beloved Son. Listen to Him. So if you really, if you really want meaning in your life, if you really want a relationship with the Lord who made you, who upholds this universe, if you want that kind of relationship, the terms of the relationship are listen to Jesus, who is the beloved Son of God. Now, I think our, our reaction to authority and our fear of authority often comes because we feel like authority is going to take advantage of us. And here, here in Mark, God the Father describes Jesus not, not just as king, ruler, power, but but is my beloved son. When we come 
to the Lord, He welcomes us as His children. He welcomes us as a God, one God in three persons who has lived since eternity in a relationship of overflowing love. And so when we come to the Lord, yes, yes, He is God. Yes, He sets the terms of the engagement. Yes, we need to listen to Him and and not make up things for ourselves, but the Lord meets us with love. So I want to challenge you today, what, what is your fear of the Lord? What are ways that you are trying to domesticate Him? And some of us probably want to domesticate the Lord in terms of having the Lord give us all the answers and all the rules and everything laid out in black and white and I know how the things are and, and I know it all. And others of us want us to come to the Lord and have the Lord say, oh, everything is good, do what you want, live how you want, just get along. We want no guidance, we want no rules, we want to make everything up for ourselves. But if you have a real relationship with somebody, then you listen to them. If we want to have a real relationship with the Lord, we need to listen to what He says. And what that means, practically speaking, is we listen to how the Lord has spoken in His Word. How do we encounter the Lord? Well, we encounter Him in ways that are shaped, that are defined, that are even limited by what He has said to us through Jesus' life and through the Scriptures. So if you really want to encounter God, listen to Jesus. Listen to the Word of God. But now I suspect, I suspect, I know in my own life, I suspect in many of our lives that all that sounds good and and we say, yeah, yeah, I want to listen to God. I want to listen to God, but, but I can't hear Him. My life is such that I... I just can't hear what God has to say. There are too many troubles. There are too many challenges. There is just too much. I can't get there. So what do I do? There is this this condition called zoocosis that, that if you've ever seen lions just pacing back and forth, pacing back and forth, pacing back and forth, pacing back and forth in the zoo, sometimes they have this thing called zoocosis where where they know things aren't right, where they aren't comfortable in their setting, where things just aren't working, but they have no power to do anything about it. They are just stuck, pacing back and forth, pacing back and forth, pacing back and forth. And there are times in our spiritual lives, there are times in our relationship with the Lord, even if we want to listen to Him, that we might find ourselves just pacing back and forth and pacing back and forth and pacing back and forth because there is too much pain or too much hurt or too much worry or too much something. And what do we do with that? What do we do with that? What do we do with the times that that we cannot believe? Let's talk about our unbelief and the help that Jesus offers. So Jesus and the disciples, Peter, James, and John, they come down the mountain and they encounter the other nine disciples and there's this crowd and there's the teachers of the law and it's chaos. People are running around and there's arguing here and arguing there and just all kinds of crazy things. And Jesus asks, what? what's going on? And you maybe could hear him with the tone of voice, I've been gone for like 10 minutes longer than that. What are you people getting up to? And a man from the crowd speaks up and says, I brought my son possessed by an evil spirit. And it takes his speech away and it sees him and it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth. He knows all these things. And I asked your disciples to heal him and they can't do it. They can't do it. And Jesus responds, Oh, unbelieving generation. Oh, you unbelieving generation. 
And Jesus, in part, is talking to the crowd, because often in the Gospels, the crowd, they, they really, they're just there for the celebrity stuff. They're there for the show. All they want is to see the next act. They don't really believe. And Jesus is talking about the teachers of the law here who are, who are arguing with his disciples. And who knows what they're arguing about? Probably about who has the power to heal or something. And, and Jesus is talking about his disciples because, as we'll talk a little bit later, because they should be able to heal this boy. They've cast out demons just a few chapters before. They should be able to do this. But somehow their unbelief is getting in the way. All of that is in the picture. But what really comes into focus is this father. This man with the son who is, who is going deeper and deeper into the darkness. And so Jesus, Jesus asks what's going on. The father says, this is what's going on with my son. The disciples can't help. And, and then the boy starts to struggle more and more. And Jesus asks, how long has this been going on? And the father, pacing back and forth, pacing back and forth, pacing back and forth, says, since childhood. And over and over again, the, the, the Spirit has thrown him into fire and water and tried to kill him. And if you can do anything, pacing back and forth, pacing back and forth, pacing back and forth. If you can do anything, help us. And Jesus responds, if, if you can, everything is possible for him who believes. And the man comes back with, with this wonderful line. I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. And the crowds, the teachers of the law, the disciples are all in this response of unbelief at this point. And, and so is the Father. He knows that his belief is not sufficient. He knows that he doesn't have enough resources. He is at the end of his rope, and so he doesn't say, well, yeah, of course I believe. He says, yeah, I believe, but, but help, help, I can't get there. Help me get there. And then Jesus responds to that one character here in this story with exactly the help that he needs. Now, I think we can make a pretty good case that the crowds, the teachers of the law, the disciples, they are all trying to control and manage Jesus. And so they are putting up barriers between him and them. And this father, this desperate father, he comes, he breaks through all the barriers and he says, I have nothing. I got nothing. Help me. Help my unbelief. The transfiguration, when Jesus is revealed as who he is and, and there's bright lights and all these things, that, that's amazing, but if we just leave it over there, it doesn't matter for us. But Jesus, Jesus doesn't just come to us in glory. He also comes to us when we're at the worst moments in our lives, when we don't know how we're going to make it, when, when things are really, really bad, when we are stuck and he does not require at that point that we demonstrate some sufficient level of belief so that he will do what we want him to do. He does not require that our lives be in order. All he requires is that we ask for his help. I do believe. Help my unbelief. If you are here today and you do not believe, then I invite you to pray that prayer. And if you are here today and you feel like you're caged up and like you want to believe but you just can't get there, there's too much going on, it hurts too much, I can't do it, go to Jesus and just ask him, help me. Help my unbelief. And what does Jesus do here? Well, Jesus goes to the boy and he casts out the evil spirit and then the people say he's dead. It looks like he's dead. But Jesus, not listening to them, takes the boy by the hand and 
and he stands up, and Jesus lifts him up. And the word that is actually used for lift up there is the same word that is used for resurrection. Look at this boy who everyone thinks is dead, and Jesus raises him to life. And that's what Jesus does for us in our unbelief. Now, some people take this passage and they go the direction, if you have enough belief, God will give you anything you want. He'll give you the healing. He'll give you the money. He'll give you the prosperity. He'll give you the whatever. And that's not what this text is saying. This text does not guarantee every single one of us that we will have this type of in-this-life resurrection experience. But what this text tells us is that when we come to the Lord with our unbelief, that He does raise us into a different kind of life. And sometimes that means He delivers us from death. Sometimes that means He delivers us through death and on into new life. But when we come to the Lord with our, with our believing unbelief, with our unbelieving belief, and we just say, Lord, help me, the Lord always helps us. The Lord always helps us. So let's circle back to fear now and talk about fear and the death and really the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So after he's healed the boy, Jesus goes indoors, and the disciples come and they say, why couldn't we cast out that demon? We've done it before. Why didn't it work this time? And Jesus gives them a response that honestly I'm not sure I have figured out. He says, this kind can only come out by prayer. And I've always been confused by that. I still am a little bit, but here's what I think is happening there. Jesus is saying to them, when you were casting out demons before, you were doing it in the power of God. And you were in prayer all the time and you recognized your need and you recognized your lack and you recognized your unbelief and you prayed and you depended on God and God worked. But you got proud. You got lazy. You stopped praying. You lost your connection with me. And because you lost your connection with me, you, you lost the power that you had before. And all you had was your own power. And your own power isn't going to cut it. Unbelief trouble. They come out only through a connection with the Lord God. So I think that's the message Jesus is giving. But then then the story goes on, and Jesus takes his disciples away to teach them, and he starts telling them about his death and resurrection, how he's going to be handed over and betrayed, and, and he's going to be killed, and on the third day he's going to rise again, and the disciples are entirely mystified. But they're also afraid. And instead of just saying, excuse me, Jesus... I don't know what you're talking about. Could you be a little more clear? I'm a little slow here. Instead, they just kind of whisper among themselves, do you understand what he's saying? I don't understand what he's saying. I have no idea. Don't ask me. I don't know what he's saying. They don't understand, and they can't understand, and they won't understand because, again, their fear is getting in the way. They can't see the whole plan of God, and because they don't ask, they don't at this point have it opened up to them. And so often, that's where we are too. But maybe we have these amazing encounters with the Lord, but, but then we, we dig into the Bible more, or we, we gather with God's people and we listen, or, or we hit different circumstances in our lives, and we realize we don't have a clue what's going on. And what we do is we try to domesticate God again. That maybe we've taken some steps forward in our faith, but now we get to this next point, and, and we try to make everything fit in our own minds. And so again, we, because of our fear, because of our unbelief, we actually step away from the Lord 
And what the Lord is inviting us to do all the time is to step deeper into relationship with Him. And what the Lord gives us, what the Lord gives us is honestly beyond our comprehension. We've talked about in this story here in Mark 9, a son who everyone thought was dead and who was raised to life. We've talked about Jesus' power to to resurrect even people who have gone deep, deep into the darkness. And by the end of the Gospel of Mark, what we have is Jesus, the Son of God, actually dying. He actually died. And what we have is, is God coming and and raising his son back to life. And that, that is the promise for all of us. That because Jesus has gone into the darkness, he can bring us back out. Because Jesus has new life, we too can have new life. There are pictures in the Bible of Jesus as the lion and the lamb. And there are pictures, prophecies of, of a day that will come when the lion will lay down with the lamb. Picture... Picture a world where you could cuddle with a 10 or 12 foot polar bear. Picture a world where that bear could stand up in front of you and instead of feeling fear, you would feel at peace. And Jesus, the all-powerful one, the one shining with power, the, the bright one who stands as Lord of the universe, dies for us and rises for us and comes to transform us. So if you really want life today, if you really want to encounter reality, if you really want meaning and hope, then listen to Jesus. Listen to the one who has come to us. And and don't filter out what he has to say. Actually listen. Even at the moments where it challenges you, even at the moments where you don't like it, even at the moments where the encounter feels like too much to bear, listen to the Lord. And don't just listen and receive, but also be active. Pray. Put yourself in front of God and and tell Him where you are. Tell Him your doubts. Tell Him your troubles. Tell Him your unbelief. Say, I don't believe. But if you want to, then say, help my unbelief. And if you pray that prayer, God will always answer it. Help my unbelief. And the Lord may not answer it on your timeline or in the way you expect, but but he will answer that prayer. The Lord is in the business of of answering prayer and bringing back to life. So listen to the Lord. Pray to the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord who raises us up. Let's pray. Father, help us to listen to you. And Father, if I've said anything wrong or anything off, then and we pray that you would wipe that from our minds even now. And Lord, if there are things that any of us need to hear today that have not yet been spoken, then bring that to our minds through the power of your Spirit. Lord, help us to listen to you. And Lord, none of us have the belief that we, that we need, the belief that we should demonstrate. We can all come to you, and even if we say, Lord, I believe, we have to follow that up with, help my unbelief. And so, Lord, we pray that you help our unbelief. Work in our hearts, work in our minds, work in our whole beings to enable us to put our faith, to put our trust in you, and to have real confidence in you. And, Lord, we pray that 
that even as we go through these cycles in our lives of fear and unbelief, that you would bring us greater and greater comfort, greater and greater faith and hope and love. And we pray all this in your name. Amen.